we, ha we have a saying in our church, technology is wonderful when it works, but when it doesn't, God's still good. So the series that our church has been going through is in the book of Judges. And if you're wanting to follow along, that's great. If not, we cheat and throw it up on the board. Uh, but we've been looking at the judges of the Old Testament and and allowing God just to, to speak to us through the lives of men and women who answered the call to save the nation around them from enemies and wrath and destruction. And more than that, they were called to invite the people around them into active worship of God. And that brought us to, as crazy as it sounds, it sounds like we covered a lot of stuff. We really didn't. We didn't get very far because we're only in chapter 6. And chapter 6 of Judges is where we get to meet this character named Gideon. And I won't even try to butcher his name in Hebrew for you this morning. That's usually a lot of fun, but... Uh, Gideon is, uh, it, it still sounds very similar. It's just the consonant is a little different. But anyway, Judges chapter 6 begins like this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because, Midian, because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey." Now, I promise you, I did not plan ahead just because agricultural-minded people were going to be in the building. Because if, well, we'll just take a show of hands. Normal church people, okay, the people that are here, pretty regular. How many of you are involved in agriculture? Okay, it's real fun because anytime the Bible talks about agriculture, I'm the weirdo. Okay, I teach and coach. The closest I get to agriculture is uh, trying to plant a garden and give plants their final resting place every year or plowing the dirt at the baseball field. That's about it. And my dirt is looking beautiful. So maybe I could be a farmer. I don't know if I can grow anything, but I can make dirt. Okay, Gideon is is going to be our main character, and he's going to deal with agriculture the whole way through. I promised I'd tell you why I didn't do FFA as a kid. Okay, FFA, when I was a kid, I really thought it was mainly for people who wanted to show animals at livestock shows or learn how to weld. I had no desire to do either of those two things. I knew nothing about the leadership training, all the really cool stuff that I would have gotten into, uh, public speaking, I think I might have been able to do it, you know? And looking back, I think, man, maybe I should have done that instead of taking home ec two or three times when I grew up in a restaurant and I knew how to cook. Didn't really need home ec. Uh, I'm glad I took art because now I teach it. Uh, 
wood shop. I'm glad I took it. I'm fixing to remodel and build part of a house. So I'm glad I took those things, but I, I still could have learned a lot of lessons in FFA. The other thing is my dad didn't highly encourage it because he deeply believed FFA was an abbreviation for fathers feeding animals. Okay. Any of the fathers of FFA members want to testify that that is true? You can just quickly raise a hand, put it down. Yeah. All right. Okay. None of them are throwing you guys under the bus. You guys do a great job. Take care of your animals. The people of Israel were in the same boat. They were trying to hide their animals. They were hiding as much of their crop away as they could because they were surrounded by people who were just coming in and stealing from them. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. To, to give you a background on who Midian is, if you're not a biblical historian, uh, the Midianites are actually descendants of Abraham as well. Uh, they descended from one of Abraham's sons, Midian. And they worshipped Yahweh for a very long time. The, this is what kind of makes people struggle if you really deep dive into the judges. Why would a group of people that worshipped Yahweh come up against the Israelites, well, they no longer worship Yahweh. They started chasing after Baal and Ashtoreth, just like the children of Israel. So, and if you don't know who Baal and Ashtoreth are, they're pagan. Baal is a pagan god of fertility in the sea. Ashtoreth is a pagan goddess of fertility who was often carved her image into a wooden pole. And You'll need that information here in a minute. So they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in numbers. Okay, How many of you remember the grasshoppers this last summer? They were awful. I mean, you couldn't drive from Laverne to Gate or from Buffalo to Gate without needing to go wash your vehicle again because you slaughtered thousands of them on the way here. Uh, great fish bait, but that's about all they're good for. Not really, but we won't go into the gross. Yeah, let's go the gross way, okay? Grasshoppers, you can actually deep fry them and put a lot of salt on them, and they're not bad. But if you really want the creme de la creme of a grasshopper, you deep fry it, you put a little salt on it, then you dip it in melted chocolate. Mm, you can, okay, I watched too much Bear Grylls. It's okay. But the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and gave, them, gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay, the main reason all this bad stuff is happening to them is because they weren't obeying the voice of God. And we're going to take it a step further today. The reason they forgot who they were is because they quit listening to the voice of God. And when you stop listening to the voice of God, when we as the church stop listening to the voice of God, we often lose touch with our real identity. What's the first part of the FFA creed? Go ahead, everybody in blue and gold. I believe. I believe. Believe is a powerful thing. Okay? I believe. 
if you don't believe, oh, this is a sports saying here, if you don't believe, you don't belong. Anybody ever heard that in a locker room? If you haven't, you, you don't have a championship culture. It's okay. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, whew, yeah, he ain't pulling punches, is he? All right. You'll never know who you are until you learn to hear the voice of God. You'll never learn who you are. The world will try and tell you who you are. Your friends will try and tell you who you are. Your parents will try and tell you who you are. And praise God, those are all voices that do care about you, but you are never really gonna know. You're never gonna own it deep down in your soul who you are until you learn to hear the voice of God. There's, there's some adults that are raising eyebrows, young people, because nobody's ever put that out there maybe. Okay, there's a reality to that. You won't know who you are until you learn to hear the voice of God. And we don't have time for me to break down every bit of how you learn to hear the voice of God, but the number one way you're going to do it is read his word. Not just listen to other people tell you about his word, but you have to get in the book yourself. That doesn't mean you have to read for hours on end every day, but I promise you, if you will open up the word of God and say, God, make yourself real to me, he will not disappoint he will take you to places in Scripture that I couldn't point you to today because I don't know how your mind works. He does. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. Wow, the Oprah show. Anyway, ADD, sorry. Which belongs to Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff here just because I do it. This is my ADD brain. In Hebrew, Oprah, her name means fawn. Joash's name means given by the Lord. Abizarite means my father is help. And Gideon's name means hewer, which if you don't know what a hewer is, that's a person who cuts down things with an ax. Cool name, okay? We've been following the trail of the judges all along and there's all these like pseudo avenger themes hidden there okay last week we fought a guy that was battle array which sounds like an evil villain but gideon is a hewer and that comes into play right at the end today but threshing wheat in a wine press we're agricultural people this morning what does it mean to thresh wheat Nobody's going to answer out loud. Cut it. To cut it. Well, cut it's good, but you're, you're not just cutting it. You're actually breaking apart the heads and separating the grain from the chaff, from the stock. Okay, you're not just cutting it, but you're beating it. I like that answer. I'm cutting it and then I'm beating it. Okay, now the problem with this is Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. What's the wine press made for? Making wine, okay? People in church get really uncomfortable when you talk about wine. I don't really know why. It's in the Bible over and over and over. Just chill out a little bit, okay? We can talk about the wine press. That's where they took and smashed grapes. But it's even deeper than that, okay? The threshing floor where the wheat was supposed to be separated from the chaff is not in a building. 
It's not in a building because they didn't have these wonderful combines we have today where all of that takes place inside the machine where you cut it. Yes, initially it goes up a conveyor belt and then it just rattles and beats it to death and the grain goes up into the bin. The chaff goes kicking out the back, making people with allergies like myself miserable in a beautiful, wonderful way because I know eventually the stuff that stayed in the combine is going to make donuts. Okay, I, I'm a realist. You see a field of wheat, I see a field of donuts, it's okay. <laughs> but the threshing floor, it was outside and it was a celebration every year when the harvest came in. They would throw the stalks of grain into the middle of the threshing floor and begin to beat them and then throw it up in the air so the wind could blow away the chaff. It was like, have you ever had to rake leaves in the yard with little kids? Do they leave them in the pile? No, they throw them up. They, they have a grand old time in the leaves. It was the same thing in ancient Israel. They were supposed to bring that to the threshing floor and it was to be a celebration for the people of the country to see the blessing, but also for their enemies to see that God was blessing them right in the midst of their people. No coincidence at all that in Sunday school today, we read Psalm 1 and it said the evil are blown away like chaff. Just boom. There's your connection, Sunday school people. If you missed Sunday school, you missed it. All right. But the wine press had a place of celebration too. This one's really cool. Most people don't know about it. The wine press every year at the grape harvest. Guess who got to do the smashing of the grapes? The unmarried girls. They called them the Vestal Virgins. They came in all white gowns and they would tromp these grapes as a display to all the single dudes of the, of the country that I'm available for marriage. So everything about what Gideon is doing is wrong. He's celebrating the wrong thing in the wrong place. And, and the wine press was actually not open like you see it here. There were walls. It was indoors and it was kind of hidden. The only time everybody got to see the Vestal Virgins, they didn't get to see them smashing grapes. They got to see them parade in, parade out. It was like a beauty pageant. Gideon's hiding in a place that's traditionally worked by women, performing an act in secret that was supposed to be open celebration. And there's a whole lot of things you could pick at right there. But we're going to get to the root of it. He was hiding and doing a job in the most difficult way possible because of fear. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Imagine you're hiding doing something the hardest way possible. So, you know, it's probably hot, dirty, and you're in there working your tail off and all of a sudden, boom, an angel of the Lord shows up. And why are you there? Why are you doing it there? Because you're afraid. If we want to be really blunt, you're a coward. And this angel shows up and calls you a mighty man of valor. 
How are you going to respond? Gideon's response is this. Please, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds? Our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon doesn't even respond to anything about his identity. He responds to the situation that he's in. If God's really for us, why is all this bad stuff happening? It's becoming a recurring theme this morning. Why is all this bad stuff happening? If God really does care about us, why, why is that happening? Why is that happening to my friends? Why is that happening to my family? Or why is it happening to me? I love how God doesn't even take that question. The angel of the Lord, and, and that's what gets tricky here, is that an angel is communicating for God. The Lord's response to this, he turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? I want you to understand something very simple this morning, church, and it's, it's something we often overlook because we're just like these people in the Old Testament. We get overwhelmed by the stuff happening to us that we stop letting God do things through us. And God doesn't even acknowledge why all the stuff's happening. He doesn't give Gideon an answer. He just says, I'm sending you to fix the problem. Ouch. Anybody ever get that from dad? Don't give me your excuse. Go fix the problem. And yes, my son's like, I'll testify. I'll testify. Dad says that to me all the time. And Gideon's reply, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? This is, this is a, a thing that will hit home with a lot of us. God, how can I do that? Do you not know who I am? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. My family has no reputation, and we're weak, and I'm the weakest member of my family. I'm not going to ask anyone to own up to, are you the runt of the litter? Are you the one that everybody else beats up on in the family? Sam's like, no, not my house, baby. He's like, anyway, no. Your dad's going to watch this. He's going to be like, what? But as I read that, the question came to mind is, whose voice was Gideon listening to to build his identity as weak and insignificant? The things you like the least about yourself, did you say them to yourself first or did somebody else and you just owned it? More importantly, did God ever say those things about you? Ooh. Ooh. That kind of hurts. Did God ever say those negative things about you? I'll just answer it for you. No. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites as one man. Anybody ever watch the old 80s action movies? Maybe the early 90s will count in there too. Only 2,000 above, did they really get the team mindset? I mean, back in the day, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger versus everybody. Or Sylvester Stallone versus everybody. If, if you need references, Rambo. 
First Blood, First Blood 2. Uh, Schwarzenegger, it was Commando. Predator, he had a team, but they weren't very good. Uh, the Terminator, but watch the second one where he's the hero, not the villain. Uh, that, that's, that's the image that came to mind when God said to Gideon, I'm going to use you to change the destiny of an entire nation. And he said to him, now if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come out and bring you my present and set it before you. And he said, I will wait till you return. The thing that stood out is God is big enough to handle your doubt and your uncertainty. I, I, I grew up with this bad belief. And I don't know that anybody taught it to me. I just had a bad belief. And I didn't dig into the Word of God to figure it out for myself. But it, it was something along the lines of, you cannot question God. If you question God, you don't have faith. I'm reading the Bible as a grown man and almost everybody that's listed in the Hebrews chapter 11 about faith at some point or another questions God. Now Jesus said not to try or to tempt the Lord your God and he was specifically referencing don't play games with your own life. I'm not going to jump off this temple and see if God is going to rescue me because that would be stupid. God does not allow you to willfully choose stupid with your life. So you cannot jump off a building and say, if you're real, God, save me. That's just dumb. You can say, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me, and he will. I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony of that. If teenagers need a reference, Google, I am second. Okay? Check out the one of the, uh, oh, I lost it. I just lost it. Anyways, he was in Corn. I can't think of his name. He was one of the, the front men for Corn, which is not a Christian band. Don't go buying their album thinking I said they were Christian. But listen to the testimony of, of a guy that was like so far gone on drugs and God spoke to him and brought him back. But God's big enough to handle your doubt and your uncertainty. I, I think sometimes God starts asking us to do something and we think that I can never do that and we stop the conversation. Instead of saying, God, if that's really what you want me to do, then help me understand how. Or, or just, I, I need a little more encouragement. I need somebody to say or to... God, I need to see something. And, and a lot of people like to twist that scripture of, oh, wicked and perverse generation, always looking for a sign. That, that's not how God works, is what they'll tell you. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've got massive accounts through scripture where God reveals himself through signs and wonders. Now, if you're chasing after signs and wonders, that's exactly what that scripture was talking about. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat. He had goats. And unleavened cakes, bad donuts, from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket 
and the broth he put into a pot and he brought them under the terebinth and presented them. I wish I had time, FFA, to go back and tell you about the terebinth. Uh, there's bad interpretation of that. They just call it an oak. Uh, this is actually a tree that was planted by Abraham. But anyway, moving on. God's big enough to handle your doubt and uncertainty. And God tends to answer at the intersection of doubt and worship. Okay, if you need something to visualize in your head, there's two streets that are going to intersect. One of them is your doubt. One of them is your worship. And that's where God tends to meet us. When we're real enough to tell Him, God, I don't, I don't fully understand, but I'm going to worship you anyway. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out and touched the tip of his staff, which was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord disappeared from his sight. How cool would that be? Dude just reaches out with a stick, touches a rock, Flame shoots out and takes everything. And then he just disappears. The street light of that intersection is obedience. Okay, what was that intersection? Doubt and worship. The street light that helps you see some things a little better is obedience. That, that's not a popular word, especially when I, when I was a teenager, if you told me to obey, I went the other way. I promise you, I was there. You know, James Dean was way ahead of my time, but I was a rebel without a cause. If you told me not to do something, I'm probably going to try it at least once. And I'll just tell you, as you get older, you'll begin to understand that sometimes obedience and discipline will open doors for you that your rebellion could never kick in. Then Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. This is where I kind of look at Gideon like, duh. I mean, who else is going to do what you just saw, dude? And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God. There was a tradition in that time, a belief that if you saw an angel of the Lord or you saw God himself, that he would just wipe you out. Pretty good, healthy, reverent fear. For now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, now he's no longer speaking through the angel. He's speaking directly to Gideon. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and he called it the Lord is peace, which is actually uh, Jehovah Shalom. And... To this day, it stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Right here is where you see Gideon and God beginning a conversation. The, the church word for that is prayer. There's a conversation between the two of them, and it's a cycle that you're going to see. Gideon worships, God answers. Gideon worships again. What do you think God's going to do now? This is where you get to fill in the blank. What's God going to do? Answer. He's going to answer. Now, how many of you want an answer from God sometimes? I'll tell you the key to it. It begins with worship, start a dialogue. And then you're not always going to like what he has to say because I'm 
telling you Gideon didn't. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah you shall cut down. How many of you have ever messed with your dad's stuff? Yeah, this is where you got to learn a little tax on just nod your head like all, follow the leaders in the room, okay? Just nod your head. Yeah, mess with your dad's stuff. How well did it go for you? When dad found out, if you messed, how many of you messed with his stuff and messed something up? I've been there. I've been there and I held on to the secret for like 20 years. Okay, you want to hear the story? Okay, I, I took this 74 Buick of my dad's. And we like to ride around town in it because we called it the, the stretch limo of Laverne. It, it had to be like 21 feet from the front bumper to the back. This thing was a monster. And it would do 94 miles an hour in the quarter. Okay, I like to go drag race dad's 74 Buick because a lot of the guys thought they had fast trucks. Well, none of them were getting 94 in the quarter because this thing had an engine that was as big as a cow. And it drank gas like it too, because I mean, it, it would flat get it. I was racing, I guess racing's a little unfair. We were playing cat and mouse. Anybody ever do that? Is that still a thing? Okay, be smart when you do it. Don't do it in town and, and don't go over a certain, set a speed limit, okay, be smart. Anyways, I was going and I cut across that camper driveway at the park and started my way around and right where the alleyway goes to the uh, to the pool, I cut it really hard and pulled through there. And I had this great idea that I was gonna go back to the back gate of the, the parking lot. And, and I saw that it was closed. So I had a buddy of mine jump out and open it. And I went all the way around because the playground at the school didn't have a front fence at that time. Any of the older people in the room remember the playground not having a fence, which now I look back at and I'm like, that's bad. <laughs> you didn't have a fence right there. You could just hop the curb and get out there on that really nice playground asphalt that when you get a little moisture on it, it's a slick pad. It's, it's where you can do all kinds of stunt driving. And... <clears throat> Because I beat the dude in cat and mouse, I pulled around, I pulled in there. It just sprinkled a little bit so that asphalt was really good and wet. And I'm in there just smoking them, boys. I mean, donut after donut after donut. And we see headlights coming down Main. And the cops in the 90s were really predictable in Laverne. You knew exactly when and where they'd be. We knew that was a cop. So we're trying to get out that back gate. I never measured the gate. I never checked to see if it was actually wide enough to put that car through. It wasn't. The front end got through it fine, but that, that car had a little flare to its body and I creased the passenger side panel just behind the tire, creased it on a pole. I mean, it made the most horrific crunching sound I've ever heard. 
I put it in reverse, I backed it up, shut the lights off, and just hoped. It's probably one of the few times as a teenager I legitimately prayed for something. Of God, please blind the eyes of the cop to the fact there is a car sitting in the playground. And sure enough, dude just goes right on by. It wasn't the cop I needed to be worried about. It was my dad. Because I creased that door. You know, that, that panel area there. And I'm like, eee. I get out and I look at it. So I told my dad half the truth. I told him I did it while we were playing cat and mouse and that I'd actually hit one of those used to be wood post gate barriers for the swimming pool driveway. That's what I told him I hit. He bought it until I finally fessed up many, many years later. But the crazy thing was he sent that vehicle to Buffalo to get that panel fixed. And uh, <clears throat> some guys that were afraid of getting arrested for being there illegally stole that car and blew the engine in it. So that, that's how I was scot-free for like 20 years until I, I finally had to tell him so I could use it as a sermon illustration. But Gideon's being asked to go tear down the family's identity of worship. To break the traditions of his family in a physical way. He's going to go tear down a stone altar, possibly a stone statue. He's going to break it into rubble and build a new altar on top of it. And he's going to cut down one of those poles we talked about that represented the goddess. And he's going to use her to build a fire for a sacrifice. In case you don't know about Old Testament sacrifices, they're a lot like barbecues. Only the priests got to eat it, though. So if you didn't have a priest around, you just burnt the stuff to a crisp and he didn't eat it. But Gideon calls, is called by God into bolder worship. This is something I, I think so many people shy away from in Christianity is the closer you get to God, the more bold your worship will become. And the worship that you are called to do, according to Jesus himself, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It doesn't say be a pastor. It says preach the gospel. The boldest act of worship you can do is tell somebody else the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that he loves them and he wants to be their savior. That is bold worship. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it at night. Was he obedient? Yes. But did he make the display of it that God probably wanted? No. And this is something that nobody ever says enough. God's still big enough to deal with that. God will still accept that. God's not going to you know, wave big banners over Gideon's life yet. But God understands that the relationship that he has with Gideon is a process. And he's inviting Gideon in because is Gideon taking on a whole army as one man yet? No. The first thing he's having to do is take on the tradition of his family and his town. Gideon did it at night because he was afraid. 
But I think Gideon, if you pay attention to the story, is starting to see a glimpse of who God made him to be. And young people, I want you to understand, when you get that glimpse of who God made you to be, you'll, you'll start to adapt a different mindset where you're still going to blow it, you're still going to make mistakes, but it's not going to be the mindset of, oh, i got to cover that up. It's going to be the mindset of, I have to own that and change it. Because who I'm called to be today has to live up to the promises I made yesterday in order to become the person God needs me to be tomorrow. So the questions we're going to end with, I like to end with questions because I want you to think about it. Do you know who God has made you to be? And I want you to understand, young people in the room, I didn't know who God had made me to be when I was your age. If I had, I'd have done a whole lot of things different. Have you let doubt keep you from doing what God has allowed you to see needs done? Oh, God, I, I can't change the culture of the locker room. Yes, you can. It's not that hard. One person stands up, begins to lead with their voice, other will follow. They will. You want to be a leader, learn to lead with your voice a little bit. Speak the truth. Because they may not get it day one, they may not get it day 21. But eventually they'll get it and they'll respect you because you stood on the Word of God and you stood for something. Because you believe. The other one, and, and maybe this is aimed at older people in the room, I don't know. But are you threshing in a wine press instead of threshing on the threshing floor? Are you living your faith secretly? Or are you boldly living out your faith and letting God be glorified in your day-to-day -day moments? Letting people see the goodness of God in your life and giving Him the credit for it. The majority of people in this room will never be on TV with a microphone in their face for them to say, yeah, you know, it was great winning a championship or it was great you know, making this fortune, making this great deal. You may not be that person that gets that moment to where you get to say, but I give God all the credit. But in your everyday life, it's not, it starts something as simple as when something good happens to you, thank you, God. And then you go tell somebody else about it. Hey, you know what God did for me today? God let me move a big pile of firewood that was making my yard look trashy. And my back didn't hurt when I was done. Praise the Lord. When you're older, that, that'll mean something to you, young people. Hey, I got an A on that test that I studied for, but God helped me remember stuff that I didn't remember. <clears throat> God helped me not slide into the gate that I was trying to squeeze through. God made my show steer fatter. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can, we can begin to openly praise God for. Yeah, it's not normal. But guess what? Normal's messed up. What the world calls normal 
is way messed up these days. And God didn't call you to normal. Heavenly Father, thank you for today.